So I want to welcome uh, everyone this morning, in particular uh, welcome uh, a group uh, visiting from uh, Stanford uh, during uh, a break period studying what, uh, different aspects of religious and spiritual life? Is that fair to say? Yeah. What? The journey of the spiritual meaning-making practice. Yeah, so welcome to uh, Spirit Rock, uh, which was actually named uh, after a rock that you may have seen from Sir Francis Drake, which was well-known by the um, indigenous peoples who were here, who were the, uh, uh, what's the, the Coast uh, Miwok people. Some of you may have studied that. And, um, and so Spirit Rock uh, wanted to honor that in a way. And it was founded in the 1980s by uh, a number of people, uh, many of whom had um, studied as people in sometimes their late teens, 20s, 30s, studied in uh, Asia particularly uh, Thailand and Burma, uh, had studied in uh, monasteries and with some of the great uh, Burmese and Thai teachers of the 20th century and were very inspired to bring back what they had uh, found uh, into the United States of America, (laughs) you know, with all the challenges here. And so... um, founded originally, I think the first center founded was in Massachusetts called the Insight Meditation Society, founded I think about 1974 or so, Uh, so more on the East Coast. And then uh, this was understood to in a way be a comparable center on the West Coast. And I think what was distinctive about this uh, place is about Spirit Rock is that it it was... um, I think understood really to have two main intentions. One was to have a retreat area, which we have above the gate, and there's a retreat going on now. We have probably have retreats scheduled, uh, you know, uh, probably 50 times during the year, uh, most of the year. I mean, one retreat ends, a day goes by to let the staff recover a little bit, and then another retreat occurs. So ranging from two or three days in length to two months in length. And people can do, uh, during that time, mostly intensive meditation all day long. And so, which was what people had experienced in the, uh, particularly uh, Thailand and Burma. And so this was was founded with that combination of a retreat area, but also a community area understanding that in many ways uh, uh, a major challenge is to bring whatever one has learned in the meditative process into the flow of daily life. What does it mean, you know, uh, in work, in relationships, uh, as an activist, uh, as a student, whatever, you know, and so... Spirit Rock has these two broad areas of the campus. One is more related to ongoing daily life. And so there are sessions like here, which are like this one, which is two hours. 
And there's also, uh, there also are day-long and sometimes non-residential retreats up to a few days long. So, and the, the understanding or the lineage of Spirit Rock is very much connected with those traditions from Burma and Thailand, which would be called the uh, Theravada tradition of Buddhism, which is that Theravada means the way of the elders. Some of you may have studied that the way of the elders and is uh, the tradition that uh, holds as its basic text the uh, teachings that came down and were written down in the Pali language about uh, 2,000 years ago of the teachings of the Buddha. And most scholars think are the closest that we have to knowing what the Buddha actually taught. As many of you know, the Uh, It was an oral tradition for 500 years. No writing. Nothing was written down. So when you go back and you look at the meaning of mindfulness in the early days, a lot of it has to do with memory. (laughs) And remembering text, you know, because that's what they did. And uh, it's interesting, you know, we we have more, a little different understanding of mindfulness, but the actual etymology of the word in the original language was connected with memory. And memorizing was a bigger part of spiritual life than it is now. Interesting. (laughs) So anyway, that's that's the lineage of Spirit Rock. But I I would say that the perspective here is fairly broad. And uh, there's a lot of room for, um, a lot of room has occurred here for innovation and really connecting uh, these traditions of mindfulness and heart practices, loving-kindness, compassion, with, uh, in some ways, with Western approaches such as uh, psychology and psychotherapy, such as uh, social engagement and activism, uh, such as, uh, you know, finding ways to make this real in daily life. So I think a, a fairly broad perspective here and also perspective which is generally collaborative at times with other religious or spiritual traditions. You know, probably the person who may be quoted the most at Spirit Rock is Rumi. <laughs> you know, who you may know, you know, Muslim, most popular poet in the United States. That's true. <laughs> So interesting. So, okay. So that's the introduction. Is that a, I hope that's a good introduction to Spirit Rock. And what we'll, what we'll do, uh, we typically have a uh, 40, 45 minute meditation and then a short break and then a talk and discussion. And I'll give today a uh, guided practice which will be related to the theme of the practice. And among, maybe I'll just ask generally, how many people here are either fairly new or rusty in relation to mindfulness practice. So, so the people who are guests here, here for the first time, how many of you are either fairly new or rusty in terms of mindfulness? Okay, so I'll, I'll give an introduction that all uh, should have you be fine for what we do now, okay? And again, I, I don't know if I said, but my name is Donald Rothberg. I'm one of the teachers. On, we have a teacher's council here, which is kind of like a faculty. <laughs> yeah, so, okay.
So mindfulness practice generally has two aspects. One is settling the mind and being less distracted. And the other, when that settling has occurred, we then try to look uh, carefully as to what's happening in experience. And the finding and the suggestion is, is that when we actually see clearly our moment-to-moment experience, we will notice what habits of mind and heart and body are helpful and which are not, which habits lead to suffering. So the whole aim of this practice is to gain freedom and to live without self-constructed suffering understood as the kind of the, the reactivity the pushing away or the grabbing hold of whatever is happening. That's really how suffering is understood. Suffering is, not, is differentiated from simply the presence of the unpleasant. In other words, I can be sick and that can be unpleasant. Uh, but that we usually make a kind of a technical distinction between that as the unpleasant or pain and the suffering would be all the reactions to being sick. So it would be blaming oneself for getting sick or blaming your friend or your partner for getting sick or just being really upset about it and being getting depressed about being sick. Those would all be the reactions to the original phenomenon. And the aim is to increasingly eliminate suffering in that second sense as the reactivity. So still the unpleasant occurs, but you know, what, when we look carefully, we'll see that, is, that a very large percentage of what is painful is not the original situation or stimulus, but it's the reactions. You know, one, uh, one study of chronic pain suggested that as much as 80% of chronic pain is the reaction to the chronic pain. It's interesting. So the first area in the medical field where meditation, mindfulness was applied was the area of chronic pain. Because if you can reduce, if you can eliminate much of that 80% makes a huge difference. So that's an important understanding of our practice. The aim is really to see clearly into one's mind, heart, and body with the aim of seeing what is connected with suffering in that second sense and what is connected with freedom. So these two aspects, the first settling, the second seeing. The settling process is very important because if we're distracted, we won't be able to see much of anything. We'll just be caught up in thinking all the time or being distracted. So uh, the practice to stabilize the mind, to settle is really crucial. And we usually do that by being aware of the breath, where the breath is easiest to follow. And so we see, is the breath easiest to follow at the belly? And if you're newer, you can even keep your hand here to just be aware of the movement of the breath at the belly. For it might be easy to follow at the area of the the chest, the lungs expanding, contracting. 
or it might be easiest to follow at the, the nostrils, the breath coming in and out. Sometimes people just sort of put their awareness right at the tip of the nose and are aware of the breath coming in and the breath going out. If for anyone the breath isn't neutral, if there's a, a way that maybe there's a history of asthma or some way that uh, the breath isn't emotionally neutral, then we usually would focus on another uh, area. So we might focus just on the hands touching together or the connection with the cushion or the chair and just feel those sensations. Some people might focus on sound. And one technique which is very helpful for the settling process is to give a very quiet label in the mind for each part of the breath. So we would go in and out. And then typically there's a pause. And if you can bring your awareness during the pause to your hands and then wait for the in-breath to come and then you switch your awareness to the sensations of the in-breath. So we have kind of a three-part breath. In, out, pause. With the in-breath, we're with the sensations of the in-breath wherever we're watching the breath. With the out-breath, we're with the out-breath. As soon as the out-breath stops, for most of us, there's about a half-second pause, often where there's distraction. And so if you can actually put your awareness maybe on your hands or on your, your connection with the seat, when the pause is occurring, it's a, it's a very helpful way to cut through distraction. So we would say very softly in the mind, in, out, pause. And then as soon as the in-breath starts, we just bring the attention back to the in-breath. So we'll do this for a while. And then um, I'm going to bring in some other instructions that will be connected with the theme of our, uh, the talk and our exploration this, later this morning.
As we continue to sit quietly, I want to offer for the uh, rest of the session a guided practice. Some of it will be similar to what we did last week. Some of it will be newer. And for many of the parts of the guided practice, you should be able to stay with it pretty easily. If you ever find yourself really distracted, just come back to the breath again. Kind of resettle a little bit and then you can come back to the guided practice. So the first instructions will be to stay with the phenomena of sound and notice when sound arises, notice how it stays and changes and then ends. So we're looking into how things arise, stay for a while, change some and then pass away. We'll work with sound, we'll work with body sensations and thoughts and emotions, but we'll focus first on sound. Just stay with the experience of sound at the level of sensation without needing to think anything. Just to stay as much as possible with a very simple being with the sound. If you notice yourself commenting on it, liking, disliking, reacting to anything in the guided practice, just notice that. Or if you find yourself getting a little distracted, just notice that and come back to the guided practice. Just like the meditation, if we find ourselves distracted, preoccupied, liking, disliking, reacting, just to notice that it's not, uh, we don't want to simply get rid of it or see it as bad, just to notice it, but then to come back to the experience of sound. Okay, so noticing when something arises, stays, changes, and passes away. Just noticing the flow of sound 
arising, staying for a while, changing, passing away. Just keep noticing the flow. And now be mindful in a similar way to sensations in your body. And you can either be aware of whatever sensation is predominant in your experience and just go from whatever is predominant to whatever comes next and so forth. Or if it's easier, you could just focus on a small part of uh, bodily experience such as the hands touching or maybe the connection with the chair or cushion or some other part of your body and just notice the flow of sensations, how things are continually occurring, changing, arising, passing away. Again, try to stay with this. And if you notice reactions, liking, disliking, or distraction, the mind going off, just to notice that. Notice those, come back to uh, the flow of sensations. Again, if the mind wanders, just come back to the flow of sensations wherever you're attending it, to it.
And now we'll focus just for a few minutes on the flow of thoughts or emotions, which is um, a little harder to follow. Thoughts and emotions are more subtle in some ways than body sensations. So in a way, you just set back and, as it were, listen for any thoughts or emotions that come into the flow of experience. Much as you can, just notice the thought or emotion, notice it arise, stay for a while, maybe lead to another thought and end. Then maybe there might be some silence, then maybe another thought arises, might be connected with a feeling. So this is not so easy, especially if the mind isn't so settled. Typically we would get caught up in the thoughts and not be able really to track them. See if you can just track the thoughts as they occur, almost like you're sitting in a dark theater and a thought is just coming across the screen. One thought at a time, it stays for a while, then maybe another one comes and so forth. See, maybe that uh, image can, can be helpful. So just try, we'll just try this for two or three minutes. Now we'll bring together all of the parts of experience, um, although we'll still keep the eyes closed, so we're not bringing in vision at this time. But we'll see if we can just stay with the flow of experience, which might include thoughts and emotions, might include body sensations, might include sounds, might include smells or tastes, 
just to be with the flow of experience, whatever is predominant. We're not, uh, we can in a way sit back and just see whatever comes to your attention. We don't have to go looking for things too much. And an image which can be helpful is that we're just sitting and as it were, the river of experience is occurring right in front of us. And it's a little bit like if there's been a storm and there are different things coming down the river. There are some branches and maybe part of a tree limb, other objects coming down the river after the storm. And you're just sitting, watching whatever comes right in front of you. Oh, there is a branch. Oh, there is a plastic bottle. Oh, let me just look and notice whatever comes right in front of me. And in a similar way, do that with whatever comes to your attention. Could be body sensation, could be uh, sound, could be a thought. Again, thoughts and emotions are harder to track. So try to stay with the flow. And then the other instruction here is see what gets in the way of you tracking the flow. In particular, that might be being distracted, maybe having reactions, comments, liking, disliking. So first try to stay with the flow and then see what gets in the way of the flow and keep coming back to being with the flow of experience. We'll just do this for a few minutes.
And in a moment, I'll ring the bell just once, which will signify the end of the guided practice. And then after the bell, I'll give uh, instructions for our short group practice that we usually do at the end of every uh, silent session or guided session. So first a bell and then some further instructions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.